this is the way you do this, right? You just go, hey guys, love having you here. <laughs> Press the subscribe and like button. Click that bell, because if you click the bell, then you'll get notified every time we produce no, a you, video. You have, you have, Bill, uh, sorry. Chris, you have to record this and then post it. Yeah, obviously. I like it. It better than yours. Bill, you got to do that again, okay? Everyone else go on mute so that we don't yeah. get, want to get Phil on, on camera. Ready? Go, Ready? Phil. I loved it. I loved it. Hi, welcome to another episode of Consultants Saying Things. I'm Chris Lockhart. I'm joined today by Bill Bensing, Shashin Shirmali, and Phil Yanoff. The topic that we're, we're trying to tackle today, what we're going to do with this video is actually talk about starting your own consulting practice. Now, lots and lots of stuff has been written and said about this. You can go on YouTube and find all kinds of stuff about starting your own consulting practice. But I find that a lot of those videos and a lot of those um, you know, written pieces are often by people that do that sort of advice for a living and not so frequently by people who are actually consultants and practitioners themselves and do that for a living. So we have four of us here that are actually practitioners and we think this is going to be maybe some pragmatic practical advice on how to start your own consulting practice. So I'm actually going to go to Bill Bensing because Bill, you have started several companies um, you've been involved in um, some startups that you're working on right now. And I kind of want you to get, can you like elaborate a little bit on sort of this topic area? Yeah, well, this one is a, it's near and dear one because some of the companies I'm selling that software now and making a move into a bit of the consulting business. And so uh, I selfishly recommended this topic because I want to talk about it because I'm going through this, I'm having issues, I'm looking um, for outside help through some of these thought leaders and I'm putting it all together and saying, okay, what actually works and what doesn't work. You got to think like a business, um, whereas in the traditional consulting world, you're delivering a specific product or service. Sometimes you're not thinking through um, your strategic approach or P&L and frankly, what value you're offering. How am I different and what value am I offering? Because nowadays, everybody's a consultant. Contractors call themselves consultants. There's people from the big five. Everybody's a consultant. Um, and you're moving towards a world where uh, remote work and um, non-W2 work is becoming very standard, but yet the word consultant is very common. So how, to me, I'm, I want to say combating sometimes um, some of those perceptions, but also trying to build a true business, not just a uh, sort of lifestyle. Yeah, and that's an actually an interesting point because on the one hand, it's one thing to do like freelance consulting, right, where you're a, a, a temporary employer or contracted with someone. On the other hand, you know, running a business where you and maybe some other people, employees, do consulting, that's kind of a different thing because it's not for everyone, right, to run a GL and like, you know, be constantly thinking about invoicing and like all of this sort of stuff uh, for multiple projects and, and actually running the back end of the business. And I mean, you know, you know, Phil has seen lots of people sort of uh, go through this. And I know that, you know, Phil, you know, in, in your events, for example, you talk to a lot of folks that are involved in either their own business or starting their own business. You know, um, you know what, what should someone be thinking or how should someone be thinking about this topic uh, from your experience that you've seen? I think that's 
a solid question because I wonder that myself on their behalf, right? I mean, uh, people say, well, I, I, I'm going to go out on my own. And the question is, why? Why do you want to do that? Why is this compelling? Because going out on your own is not necessarily easy. And certainly going out on your own without some idea of where you're headed with this can be really frustrating. So I think getting a good sense of why you're up to this and what's going on is probably good. I mean, I would come back to you on that. What if they just like, I know I had a bad boss. So now I've decided I'm going to go out work on my own. That just seems like a terrible idea. Yeah. And I don't know if it's like in, you know, personal freedom. I want the ability to sort of manage my own, you know, we talked, we talked recently about burnout, right. And, and taking on what you can and what you can't, you know, maybe this is an effort to sort of control your work. Imagine that that's your right and that's the spot. I want to control that. The thing is, lots of folks go out and they think that the piece that they're doing in the business is, in fact, the business, but there's so much other stuff wrapped around it. How did it get sold to begin with, right? I mean, who's going to guarantee the work when it's done? Who knows that there's a queue of work ahead of you so that you're you know, not constantly trying to figure out, am I going to have something to eat next month? Um, I mean, there's that whole thing of the business. And I don't mean to tell someone, don't do this. What I'm saying is, you know, just because you're a really great technician does not mean that you will be a great manager nor a great entrepreneur. And you really have to decide where you want to be inside that spectrum. Isn't it also true, though, that like a lot of people, you know, they think, hey, listen, I, I can do this. I can do it on my own and start a company to do it. But then, you know, we, we know some people who are sort of in this category here locally in Greenville, South Carolina, where you know, you, you have done something, you've done it well, maybe you even did it independently. Now you start a company to do it. And it turns out you no longer have the cycles to do it. Because yeah, you right. don't even get to do it anymore, right? I don't get to sit down and write code anymore because every day I'm worried about payroll. I'm worried about the dude that's calling in sick. I'm worried about whether we've got the next job to feed those five people behind me. You know, I mean, just this morning, listen to someone say, hey, you know, my secret was not to have seven people working for me because that was such a big nut. I spent all my time trying to make sure that this, the nut was covered as opposed to getting to do the work I really enjoy doing. Shashi, you worked in very, very large companies, um, some of them the largest companies, right? Yeah. And, you know, it, it, I think it gives you a different perspective. I and mean, it, it may even cause some people to think like, this is so complex. I can't possibly do all of these functions myself. I can't be the sales partner. I can't be the delivery principal. I can't do all the back end and the training and the manage the people and all this sort of stuff. What's your perspective from your years sort of in, in the big firm, big firms? When you work for a large firm, um, it's a great place for you to A, and a safe way for you to build skills, right? Build skills around the technical skills, as well as your ability to build relationship with the client. And you go through the value chain. You know, you start off as a senior consultant, you're working in the project and your only job is to just work on the project. When you become a manager or a director, then you start getting more and more supporting sales pursuits, uh, supporting or again, again, still largely delivering the project, but get more on the sales pursuit and thought leadership. Once you become a partner, your job is largely to sell stuff so that you can rally the rest of your pyramid and, you know, continue to feed it. So this is a great place for you to build those skills. And when you are experiencing those, I would like to tie this back to what Phil said, you need to find your own mojo. What do you enjoy doing? What are you capable of doing? 
right? So you may not like sales stuff. What I, what I like to do, one of the girls I used to work with um, and a great, great consultant, uh, she says, you know, I don't like to sell stuff. I like to work on projects which have a definite start and an end date. So definitely she, I think it'll be difficult for her if she decides to go independent and start wants to start her own consulting firm. But at the same time, she is awesome at delivering projects. So I feel being in a large firm is a good place to A, build all the skills required to run a consulting firm. B, find what you are good at and what you enjoy doing. And if you think that, you know, selling that stuff and cashing on your relationship, being a trusted advisor, having some more freedom is something which you really want to do. We should definitely, one should definitely go out and explore that as an option. Big firm, right? I understand like that's a great training ground where you can sort of learn these skills. And by the way, you're kind of, I don't want to say protected, but you know, you're not worrying about your next paycheck in, in most cases. Uh, you really worrying about your billability and, and all that sort of stuff, but you're not there. Yeah. Like my family's not going to eat unless I sell work, right? That sort of thing. But you know, Bill, you know, on your own, that's got to be like the top of mind, right? I will not eat unless I sell this work and deliver it. I mean, you know, why did you, why did you decide, Hey, I'm going to leave Boeing. I'm going to, leave the protection, leave the comfort, leave the benefits, leave all that behind and go do my own thing with, by the way, 0% guaranteed success, right? It's, um, it goes back to, we realized the value of consulting. And I'm always on the edge about the value of consulting. And so I had an initial experience in college and I was in college doing my undergraduate and I was consulting, i.e. what I was happening, I was going out to small businesses and uh, I, was, I did my finance and accounting class, then going out to small businesses the next day and helping them set up finance and accounting systems in the startup world, right? And so truly, that's the life of the consultant. Everybody knows it. And I got a little bit of that in college, and I went to Boeing. And um, inside Boeing is where I applied. I was not IT in Boeing. I was on the business side. But I started because I had this coding uh, hobby. I started building these small pieces of software and putting them inside Boeing. And this small piece of software for a $2.5 billion division, and they were saving hundreds of thousands, sometimes millions of dollars a year. And so I looked at this and I said, okay, if I can do this here, and it wasn't really about pay, it was like, I found a problem, I can solve it. Why can't I do that for broader than Boeing? So when I left Boeing, it was my first jump into in the experiment of, all right, I want to see if I can do this. But one thing I want to talk about, Chris, is you talked about that, that zero, so that risk and everything like that. This is where people get it wrong. I don't think, I know I talk about once or twice, I try to live almost in $25,000 a year, okay? Um, so when we talk about the food and everything like that, when I left Boeing, I had enough money saved up that I could live for almost 24 months, make all my mortgage payments, make all my school loan payments, and live the standard of living. I mean, it was 25,000 this year, so not high standard of living, but I could still go out to a bar every once in a while with some friends. And so you were just, dedicated- just a, just a point on that, Bill. I'm pretty sure that that's what I spend on beer in a, a given year, right? You're a bad example of a minimalist. I mean, no, but seriously. That's terrible. In terms of minimalism, you know, that's, that's a low number to survive on, right? That's poverty line level, right? And you did it. That's kind of, that's kind of interesting. So when people think about poverty line, you can realize a lot what you can live without. So look yeah. at your, look at everything. There's a lot you can live without. And I learned it when I did a master's degree in France. 
Um, I didn't have much money and I also didn't want to pull much money out. So I lived on almost, I mean, lived on shoestring budgets, but I wasn't poor. I wasn't in the streets. I was having a good time. You just figure out what the opportunity cost is. So my biggest thing is as I talk to people and they're jumping in is think about your finances. You're not going to make money possibly for expect, expect 12 to 18 months. And when I do it, it's a long-term investment. I just don't go because I'm mad at my boss or I don't like the environment I'm in. If those are the reasons you're making the decision, don't go try to do your own thing because that's a wrong uh, deal. Um, that you well, that's one scenario. I'm, I'm, I'm like, I would like to disagree with uh, this point. I mean, it's a good expectation to have. Um, take, you know, keep your expectations low. But right now I'm working very closely with a friend of mine mm-hmm. and he's transitioning uh, into being from being, you know, he used to, he works for uh, a very, very large, uh, you know, software product firm. Uh, now he has gone independent. I have seen, and you know, as we speak pretty much every week, um, his transition where right now he's earning more than he was one, earning at that place, but still going independent. So there is a whole concept of if you are able to build your relationship network, and you build yourself a runway of one year where you have those little contracts signed up and you are actually delivering the project, which doesn't consume your 100% of the time, probably 50, 60% of the time. The rest 30, 40% you spend on, you know, setting up the operations of your firm uh, around whatever finances and other stuff, uh, accounting and all those things. At the same time, building pipeline for the future. So there is a way for you to move from your current job to the new one without having such a big gap. Unless you are doing a product development on your own. So Shashi, can I is different. Someone is doing that, whether it's this guy that you know, Shashi, and I'm trying to think from what are, what do those examples typically look like? So when someone decides they want to go out, so on their own, right? Do they mean that they just want to go out and be an individual contributor or do they, are they going to go out and create another small firm where they have, yeah. you know, they bring three or four of their friends working for them or 20? I don't I mean, what, what is the typical geometry of that deal? It's a, it's a transition, Phil. Um, they start off with being an independent uh, consultant with a mindset that I'm going to make it into a five people company in six months. Then I'm going to make a 10. It's a mindset thing. It's not a contractor stuff where you go, you do a project and you look for your next gig and then you just deliver that project. This is about, you know, not spending hundred percent of your time on just delivering project. You are delivering 60, 70% of your time in delivering project, but other 30, you are building your pipeline and your network of people, uh, network of people uh, who would, uh, you know, take on the future projects what you have. I want to, I want to comment on a couple of different things there. When I left Boeing, I was developing products to your point, but also as you're going consulting, some of the people watching may not watching the relationships are important, but not everybody may have the relationships that the individual you're talking about has. And right now I'm yeah. creating from the products into the consulting. So I'm going back into leveraging historical relationships that have needed the type of value that I, I can provide to their organization. Right build that organization out but you make a good point about the strategy if you're going out are you an individual contributor are you trying to make a bigger per hour but a bang or are you actually trying to build something where you have a bench and you're doing something those are two different things Uh, people need to be real with themselves about that because a bigger a bigger dollar per hour doesn't actually mean a bigger income at the end of the year after all said and done but if you're doing a long-term investment building a bench um, and building up a true company and a true brand that's a different take. And so I think that's a, a, good, a good message for folks to ask themselves, why are you doing this? It goes back to why are you doing this? And are you truly trying to do a long-term investment? Like the individual you sound, that you're talking about, it sounds like 
he's trying to turn into a long-term investment. Is the timing of when you you can or when you should go independent? Like, are you going independent prematurely because you are frustrated with your job and you want to go independent? Probably not the right time. Or strategically, you have a mindset that you're spending at least one or two years building those relationships um, with the right people and, you know, lay down the contract and then jump and go independent. So the timing is also very right. Uh, it has to be right. Yeah. So part of my question about this, Shashi and Bill as well, is, you know, as you're doing this, right? So a, a one person company is economically stable. I kind of understand what I'm getting into. And I, I know what that's going to look like, right? I mean, I've got to work so many hours a week, I have to leave a few hours for business development off to the side, etc. But, you know, if I would, if I, if I wanted to be comfortable doing this, right, I'm probably not going to do that off of my own back. And that means I need to have a few people working for me. And I think, you know, if I had three people working for me that were doing the kind of work that we're talking about, I probably wouldn't have to work much myself in order to make a living off of it, right? I could make an income off of it. If I get to six, I'm doing really good. Uh, I would think I'm making a real, I could do really well, but here's the thing at that point, if I had six people working for me, I'm not doing the thing that I thought I loved at the beginning. I might be working with who I really enjoy working with, but I have gone from that point of being the technician or being the consultant. Maybe I get to dip in here and there, but most of the time I'm trying to figure out how to feed six other people. Should that contract come to an end? No, you know, you are, you are right. But in that case, what you need to do is the moment you start feeding that, that means you are looking for somebody who is going to be in an operating role within your company so that you can go back to leading the content development, uh, in conjunction with the other consultants you have. Well, let me comment there real quick. That comes back to strategy. So the consulting company I'm starting out right now, we're doing platforms, pipelines, and refactoring. Part of the value proposition is the thought leadership we're bringing. So as I bring people on as a bench and build out and get projects, what I'm doing is I'm actually, it's a, a bit of a director thing, an effective executive. 50% of my time is spent towards operations, and I set my model up to where operations are as autonomous as possible. 50% is actually spent why I'm going in and doing it to build that thought leadership, to do the research, to go in and say, here's what works. And the reason why you want to bring on um, our company is because we can now insource and it's a big insourcing model. We can, we can upskill your company and then we back out. And so it goes to the value proposition is really based around that strategy. So I think it really depends on the strategy and how you want to take it. And one thing I look at and it's a piece of advice I got from a mentor of mine from one of my uh, startups. He's on my board of advisors. He said, look at how much you're making an hour without working. So put a dollar value out there, say it's 150. And as you're bringing a bench on, what proportion of that's getting to you 150 and how much do you actually have to work? How many hours a year do you have to work to achieve that as a, as a, as a revenue stream, you know, minus expense, not, not taking care of expenses at this point in time to get you to doing that as a five people, as a six people, but also having that clear strategy and strategic approach. Um, sometimes I think people start the consulting business, they got the project-based work, and they just turn into a small lifestyle business. They have no strategic roadmap or plan thinking about how I get to the next step. And then in 18 months, 24 months, they just become another person that has consulting. They're in some space in some strip mall, and they got a crappy website that they bought for $10,000 from somebody. Uh, PwC has something called a talent exchange. So there is a big market of independent consultants out there. So they created a channel of tapping onto external talent. Like they have whatever employee base of how many thousand people they have, but they have created this talent exchange where 
people, independent consultant registered themselves and for their expertise, PwC would bring them onto the projects and pay them whatever, I don't know how many dollars per, per hour. Uh, that's interesting. So, so a, a, an interesting plug for PricewaterhouseCooper. That's, that's, that's uh, always uh, interesting to have. Um, but so, but that brings up an interesting point, right? This raises the question about skills, right? Like, you know, it's not enough as we've been talking, right? It's not enough to simply be good at X, right? You, there are these other things that have, you have to be able to sell. You have to be yeah. able to work with other people and blah, 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 right? Et cetera. Manage your own delivery schedule and, and all of those things. You're not going to have a partner hovering over your head, banging on you, telling you to make the slides look like this. You have to be able to articulate all that and structure all that. So there's, there's that piece. And so what I'm kind of wondering now is, okay, great. What skills does it actually take to go out and do this kind of um, activity of setting up a practice? And it's, you're exactly right on, right? I mean, I have to move beyond being just the guy who does the work, whatever that individual contributor or technician or engineer or developer, however you want to say that. I mean, I've got to go beyond that bit because I now have to figure out how am I going to bring on these other skills? How do I go find and sell a thing? I mean, this is a thing that I think a lot of folks don't realize is that you have to sell. It's just simply being good at what you do. Um, will only bring in so much work. You've only got so much contact with it. So you really do have to learn. First thing you need to do is you need to learn how to sell. And if you've discovered that either you can't or don't want to learn how to do that, you really ought not to be out on your own. The skills required are number one. Number one skill is relationship. Uh, relationship, that is the thing which will, I mean, I typically try to shy away from using the word selling because this, this again has a negative connotation that you're a car, car salesman. Uh, but but the key here is uh, the person who is a relationship oriented guy is a people oriented person again to people problem people oriented person both in terms of working with the clients uh, in order to get more work which essentially is uh, selling uh, but at the same time you know you need to sell your company um, to people who you want to join so you are selling upstream and you are selling downstream that's number one skill you need to have relationship is an extremely foundational building block you have take the point you're right there i absolutely agree you've got to have relationship what i want you to talk about is you know how, where do you take that to the, is that everything and is that sufficient even and here's what i mean by that no. you know if um i feel like i'm sitting here on the air with four cats who are you know pretty rare air very good at what they do built good businesses built inside of or outside of someone else's business they've built real good business they've built good relationships but you know, if I am, and I don't know what these numbers look like today for you guys, but if I'm inside McKinsey, you know, in my day, it was Anderson or IBM or something like that, but I'm inside McKinsey and I walk out, I do not get to take their rate sheet with me, right? No, because no. I am, no one trusts me like those guys, right? And no, then but, nor but, should they. But, but what I would say is, again, what I've started realizing is people more and more, um, you know, focus about who is working with them? Yeah, some of the firms like McKinsey, they have a brand which comes with them, right? But more and more I'm seeing the you know, second tier firm and even big four, if you are able to establish that credibility, they look at who they are working for. Clients have started asking for, I want to work with XYZ person because I love working with him. So they will call out on people they want to work on. So that's where the relationship is. Most of the time from management consulting firm, the boutique firms are formed when partner leaves and what it takes is the relationship with them 
and based on one or two accounts, he's able to build a company which is like a 15, 20 people company very easily. On that point, on that point, Shashi, and I want to I want to ask Bill this uh, this thread about relationship because you know I've always felt um, that you know it, it's there's some element of what you deliver and it has to be at the high quality, but all things being equal, it's really about how you make someone feel about the thing that you're doing, right? It's like an emotional kind of thing, right? I feel good working with this person. I want to work with this person again. So even if this person leaves company X and starts company Y, I'll, I'll trust because I trust that person. Um, And I don't care about the company. I think Phil's point about the rate card there's some reality there, right? Because yeah. yes, you may trust me, but I now no longer have the resources of a global you know, management consulting firm at my disposal, right? And so as a result, things, things go that way. But they, that, that thing about rate card and relationship and you know, how, do you, how do you deal with that? Or how, did you, how have you dealt with that, Bill? Relationships between two people, the people you know and the people you wanna have relationships with, right? And so the existing people you know that know how you can perform, you see if you can leverage those to, uh, to help land any types of uh, contracts if you, can, uh, if you can provide for those contracts. Things that I've been focused on lately is how do I build relationships with people that I don't know? And a lot of that comes down to some of the stuff we're doing right here, like content marketing and building your own brand and uh, helping people understand and learn. Some of the best things that I've learned is, uh, it's interesting in the consulting field, I can give away my secrets, and I, I actually learned this from Tayo Chiono and uh, a lot of things from Toyota. They've given away, people have researched how Toyota works so well, but nobody can replicate it because of some culture, the cultural aspects behind Toyota and how well they produce. So I follow a bit of that model where it's like, I'll give you secrets. They're not secrets. It's all, um, it's, it's a work, it's a, uh, it's a knowledge workforce these days. So it's nothing that I know It's things I've stitched together. But what I want to do is I want to help you figure out how to solve your problems. And then by me engaging with you over this, uh, over, let's say a video, we may have never talked, but all of a sudden now you have a level of trust in me because either I've built an argument or I've provided you insights that you never would have had if you wouldn't engaged with uh, the content I put out there. So when I look from a consulting realm, I like, and it's, you know, I bought consulting services too, and that's how I bought consulting services in the past, is engaged in that type of, uh, that type of information exchange. And I want to know that the person I'm bringing on before I bring on is sort of like a, a bit of a test drive. But that's, I look at building those new relationships, but then also the relationships you have, leverage those for references as you go forward. Um, you cannot solely depend upon your existing relationships to keep you in business, no could you have to grow it that may help you for six months at most after that you are it's a it's a pipeline and how are you going to fill that pipeline coming in so we talked about we talked about on the skill front right it's you know okay so you have to be able to go you have to have something that's sellable saleable whatever sellable right um you have to have the relationship you have to be able to sell that thing articulate a story in in a value proposition of why they should buy from you and and be able to have that sort of ability to build rapport with the knowledge that listen depending on how you work this you may not be the cat actually delivering this stuff in the future you're going to be sitting at the CEO's desk in your office running a business so all of that into account what else like is this like um you know is this a thing like you know people really without families should should be the ones thinking about this or like what what other skills or situations or aspects of someone's life um come into play here anyone i, go, I mean, 
it's a unique value proposition. Uh, here's my, my opinion here. Shash, you may differ with this one. I can see, I see where your friend's coming from. They've got some pipeline, they got some history. Uh, as I look at consulting, I say, what services are missing out there that people need? And can I go fill those services with thought leadership and capability? Um, as opposed to what are the traditional consulting services and can I just go find another client that needs these services? So I take a bit of a different look on it. Mine's probably a bit more, uh, is a bit more risky. Um, I'm trying to fill products that don't exist yeah. while, while other people are saying, here's a market I'm going to compete in. Um, I, I do, what was it Peter Thiel? Peter Thiel was his book from zero to ones, never compete. So I have this thing where I don't want to compete with anybody. I want to be the market because people want to come to me because of my capabilities or come to my company because of the capabilities. I don't have to compete with anybody else. And so that is a bit of my business philosophy as I go look at it, um, which may be different, Shashi, from how you guys are thinking about how you're thinking. No, I think uh, what you're saying is, again, there are different archetypes of how you can do this. What you just articulated is one of the archetypes of it. Uh, and then one which I'm saying is a different archetype. So I don't necessarily 100% disagree with you. Um, but uh, I want to go back to the skill thing, right? What I've seen work in my friend's favor is uh, another way of building relationship. He's a very generous guy uh, in general. So when he was not even thinking about doing this on his own, he was helping people in his day-to-day -day job, any person he interacted with, he was very generous. He was helping them out in the professional career. Hey, I will do this for you. Um, if somebody needs help, they call him, he helps them. So this is the time when he's trying to do that. When he himself is surprised, when he reaches out to the people, people remember all those things, mm -hmm. right? It's not that the project he did with him, it's not his subject matter expertise. That's, that's awesome on one side for sure. But another is your personal aspect of it being generous and helping them when you don't need help. And when you need help, then people will be waiting for you to help you out. So that's, that is working in his favor, what I'm seeing right now. Not everybody does that. Everybody first thinks what's in it for me before helping him anybody out. That's sort of a selfish side of it. No, but this, so this, is, this brings up a good point, right? And I want to talk, so we talked about skills. We talked about the, the things that are needed. What about this thing of, you know, it takes a village, right? Like what, what, um, what other, well, well, Phil, I know you work with a lot of uh, startups and things. What, what, what organizations exist? What, what are the kinds of things people should be looking for as they're bootstrapping this, this thing, this practice? Like what local organizations should they be looking to get involved with or maybe that can help them aside from their, their friends and colleagues? Yeah, so the thing is there, there are lots of good resources out there depending on what it is you're trying to do. But from the models that we've talked about so far, I would think any of those would be well served by going to uh, the local SBDC office. That's the Small Business Development Center. And their job, quite frankly, prepaid with your tax dollars is uh, they help review business plans and make sure that you've thought of the things you're supposed to think of. And, you know, you might say, well, I want to go to the SPDC. I don't know if those guys are super technical. They may or may not be really technology oriented, but they know business plans and they've seen people doing similar things to you. And they will think of things and maybe even pair you with a mentor who is, you know, focused on where you're focused. So I think the SBDC is always a good place to start. Are there, uh, are there question, Phil, are there services around, uh, you rightly mentioned, right? If you want to start something like this, you cannot be a one dimension person. Yeah. Uh, let's say if you are a good technical expert, but at the same time, you want to start on your own. So another way to source this, so to run an independent consulting firm, there are certain functions which are required. Of course, you need sales, marketing stuff, 
you need uh, product development and delivering service offering and then third is you know engaging people and all those kind of thing are there other support services available where if i am good at selling but then somebody else can take care of my operations at a very minimal cost so it's about you know sort of outsourcing if you want to call it as or hiring some complementary skill set because i don't like to do operational logistic stuff of calendars and accounting and all those stuff so can i go to one stop shop where they can take care of my back end operation while i take care of two things let's say sales as well as delivering content and product just curious yeah. so you know i think there there are probably lots of point services out there of one sort or another where someone could backfill part of that i mean heck you know in the early days you could probably use some sort of virtual assistant to kind of backfill pieces of what you were doing you know but in the end you're dealing with uh people and lots of them i mean you know whether it's customers or otherwise and i think you kind of almost in the end have to own or really have good control over those assets cuz you know you need them to be responsive I got it we've talked about skills we've talked about some resources that you can use you know uh, bill talked about how he lives on ramen noodles and a dollar a day uh to 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 bootstrap uh this this kind of effort um what what are some what are some pitfalls that people should be avoiding um, you know, and, and I think Bill, you, you, you sort of teed this up a little bit earlier, right? Like, don't think you're going to make money immediately out of the gate. I know Shashi, you pointed out sometimes, depending on the consulting, you might be able to do some transition or lateral shift, but what are some other pitfalls that, that people should be avoiding when they're thinking of starting their own practice? So one thing which I absolutely know, um, what Phil was mentioning, two models, right? One is, are you becoming like, you know, per hour uh, type of person 150 or 200 300 dollars per hour versus you are trying to go into five or ten people company because it's easy for people and that is happening with my friend too getting sucked into that particular project you, you because you want to knock it out of the park but guess what happens you are 100 percent focused on that and you are not thinking about growing or building your pipeline so that's right. a major pitfall which will happen and it, it has happened and i think part of that too chris i mean the first part is to think that you know i do have to be the lone ranger on this thing i do have to figure this all out on my own and to not get other people uh involved in it one way or another so again there's people like the spdc you could have a mentor you know someone who's done this before um but you need someone to talk to about this and you know, at a minimum, you're gonna need some sort of advisory board because uh, you do not know what you do not know and that's the stuff that will bite you. Yeah. So are those and the unknown, unknown unknowns? Is that is the unknown unknown. I, wasn't really trying to make that reference, but the fact is, it, we, you know, I always say we can't see into our own shadow. And there's a lot of times, you know, we want to present fully integrated anyway. You know, we want to look like we've got everything together. And that means that sometimes we just forget what we don't know. And it just blindsides us. Bill, Bill, what, what mistakes did you make that you're comfortable sharing with us? Oh, man, I share a lot of them. Um, so I think sometimes, uh, I think the going solo thing, it's always fun to try if you think it, but you're always going to be more powerful if you partner with people. Um, so try to find the ways to partner, partner smartly. Um, don't think you can do everything. So you don't have to necessarily do all your books, do QuickBooks, but knowing how to manage a P&L, knowing your accounting statements and understanding things from your CPA is very critical. Um, so you don't have to be an expert, but you definitely have to be able to um, uh, ask the right questions. Also selling, 
So here's the thing about sales and the infamous no. There's, what's a the book? There's an FBI agent who wrote a book about negotiating. He always talked about the three no's. The hard no, the soft no, and then like always maybe later. Here's my thing is get to know as soon as possible. Everybody wants to get to a yes. So everybody will hang on to a maybe or this sort of this yes. Get to know as soon as possible so you can move on. The biggest thing about a no, and this is my biggest learning lesson, you learn way more from no than you ever do yes. You can get yes, yes, and yes, and you'll just know that what you're doing worked for that, but you'll never know why everything else didn't work. Um, so when you somebody tells you no, go back and just humbly ask, hey, understand it's no. Um, could you help me understand why? What was it? Was it admit? You know, ask those questions in a humble manner so you can get that information and grow from there. I don't see a lot of people doing that. If you if you if you're if you're a cowboy cowgirl, um, you won't do that, and then you won't learn, and you won't necessarily grow as well. You, I kind of want to get final thoughts on this because I, I think I feel like this is like many of our topics. We could talk about this all day long, yeah. right? I'm I'm not done yet. <laughs> <laughs> okay, final thought, Shashi. What's your final thought then? Go. Uh, one thing is trust. You need to establish trust with people. You need to trust people. If you can't trust people, you cannot grow. And one I've seen, like I was with one of the smaller firms in the past, about 30, 40 people, the biggest challenge was it was a single owner mentality. And what happened is he could never build a team or trust a team which can help him scale or grow. And the person never grew. He eventually ended up shrinking. So you've got to trust people uh, and build your team. Consulting is a team sport. Or entrepreneurship is a team sport. So you need to build a team. Uh, think what you are good at. Uh, remember our, uh, you know, boost days around fit for growth, do capability assessment. So it's, it's like what you are good at, what are your capabilities? And if you're not good at something, you source it from someone else, partner as Bill, uh, Bill mentioned, uh, trust them with that, and then eventually you will grow. The thing is, there are good and trusted resources out there. It would be crazy not to avail yourself of them. Um, listen, if this is a thing you really really want to do, the good news is there's nothing we've said that's going to stop you from doing it. Let's just help you make as few mistakes as possible. And for that, you just need hope and a path. How has someone else done this? Is that something you can draft off of? And uh, again, there's great public resources out there to help you solve that. Learn what you need to know on somebody else's dime first. Um, it's low risk learn, but also you're in an area where you can engage potential customers. Like I did inside of Boeing, I learned a lot of things by engaging customers and solving their problems inside of there. Um, once you do that, then get a specialization in the area you know. Specialize in somewhere where you can become a bit of a thought leader. Um, you don't have to have two million clients, 100 really good clients is great. And then second, look at it as a long-term investment. This is not something you just wanna go off and do. Yes, you may wanna try it, but approach it as a long-term investment and learn what it means to um, manage it as a long-term investment uh, instead of a short-term gain. You know, the decision to leave the comfort of, you know, the mothership um, is, is always, um, it's, it's a tough decision for a lot of people because it, it, it means giving up and taking major risk. Um, and, you know, the failure rate is often high and you learn things from failures and that's great. But if you have, you know, a family depending on that paycheck and health benefits and things like that, it, it's a large step to make. And so, you know, to the degree that you can make sure you have the right skills that, you know, you can avail yourself of all of the resources and that, you know, you can, for example, uh, be honest with yourself about what is practical and what is actually going to happen uh, over the next few months as you launch your practice, I think is, is important. So thanks guys. I appreciate the conversation. Um, 
uh, we had uh, Shashi Shramali, Phil Yanoff, uh, Bill Bensing. I'm Chris Lockhart. Thanks for watching. Um, subscribe to the YouTube channel. Uh, you know, go to the website consultantsayingthings.com. Like, you know, like a video. Subscribe to the channel and like a video. Something like that. Give us some comments. Also, we're always entertaining those. So, thank you very much for watching. We will see you next time. Hey guys. We love having you here with Consultants Saying Things, and we need your help. So subscribe and like, press the bell, let yourself know every time we got a brand new episode out, and you won't miss any of us.